Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, empaths. Welcome to the show this week. We have a very exciting guest to share with you all and a lot of important things to discuss. But first, let me introduce her. Mary earned her master's degree in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University after graduating with a bachelor's in English from Princeton. She endured childhood sexual abuse and did not get the help she needed in the aftermath. But when she got to Princeton, Mary made the decision to heal from her past by seeking counseling and volunteering as a peer educator and take back the night organizer. This healing path also inspired her to dive into the world of alternative medicine, including energy healing, Reiki, yoga, acupuncture, and flower remedies. Her new book, Trusting the Dawn, shares how she healed from this trauma. In Trusting the Dawn, she draws from her own real-life experiences and her background in clinical psychology to offer a radical and integrative handbook for not only healing from trauma, but awakening to even more joy and meaning because of these experiences. She's been featured in numerous outlets like Forbes, Travel and Leisure, Observer, and Goop, and she and her sister also head up Wild Precious Life Retreats, which aims to provide others with healing and growth opportunities. Mary, that biography alone is inspiring. Thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Can you start us off by talking about what propelled you in those first moments at college to start to realize, yeah, I have gone through this traumatizing experience and I think I need help. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I came from a background in Washington, D.C. that was um, very proper and my parents are very loving and educated and supportive. And yet it just I don't know if it was the time or the environment, but that conversation about healing and therapy wasn't really on offer yet. And getting to Princeton, they have these free services in the counseling center and actually meeting other kids that had gone through similar experiences, it became a conversation. And I just, I just knew, you know, I don't know. I just knew I had this like instinctive, I was having like stomach issues. I was anxious. I just knew that, that I didn't have to do it alone, I guess, anymore. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think sometimes you have to be outside of your quote unquote, normal environment before you can even realize that. And I think that's why so many people, when they leave home or go to college or get that first job, it's when they start to realize something happened to me. Yes. And I was aware that something happened to me, but I think there's about, I talk about this in the book because the book was precipitated by my surviving the Montecito mudslide. I had a near death experience and I lost everything. And I thought my child and then husband had died so that I was trapped. It's kind of like that intense trauma, not saying that the sexual abuse trauma from, you know, decades before is not, was not huge, but you know, it had been a lot of time since then. Um, But it's sort of interesting how that trauma can then go backwards and you realize that there's things that we didn't heal. 
And with sexual abuse, I think there's can be often shame, guilt, did I do something to provoke it? Whereas in a mudslide, well, you know, that <laughs> no, there, the, it's interesting how different traumas carry with them different associations and different stigmas, even just in our own minds. But I think also the extremes of both of those are horrific things for anyone to live through or to experience. But from, you know, being an empath, being a highly sensitive person, it exemplifies that even more. But it also is, I think the work you're doing with PTSD is so, so vital right now because so many empaths have either buried it or hidden it or or haven't had a safe place to give voice to it. What are some ways that they brought you out of that, that helped you realize, okay, I have to pick myself up and, and, and go forward from here? Well, I think too, first, I want to just say that in my, in healing from the mudslide trauma, there was also, as I, you know, the healing from a further, another layer of healing with the sexual abuse which was recognizing that just as the mudslide was an act, a force of nature, that the whatever was moving through those men was also a force of nature. And I just happened to be in their path. So for me, there was something depersonalizing about it, which was very healing. And to answer your question about how, how I knew Sorry, rephrase the question. I didn't want to forget the word. No, 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 I was just saying that because those are really horrific situations that the level of PTSD, and I think that my, my own personal opinion and from what I've gathered over the years is that that's so unique to the individual. So what, what were some things that were helped you say, I have to face this and, and move forward from here? Yes, thank you. So after the mudslide, I, I had a child. I had a, I was pregnant. I also had a, at the time a four-year-old son and, um, you know, we lost our home. We lost all of our material possessions. So there was this sense at the beginning, I think of, I have to keep moving forward for my child, for my baby in my belly. And, um, and then it, it's interesting. It's sort of like, in recognizing that I had to keep moving forward, I think I did repress a lot down and it wasn't until later. I mean, I did have, you know, the symptoms of nightmares and anxiety and a lot of fear following, but then it was like even a whole year later that I had panic attacks from, I'm guessing, suppressing. And even with my background, the first panic attack I was like, did I eat something? Am I getting sick? You know, it wasn't, it's amazing how we can skirt, skirt the issue. And what really propelled me to even go further was having people in casual conversation kind of say, oh, you have PTSD. It's going to take you years and that's going to be a lifelong sentence and things like that. And I found it really frustrating because while that was true, I was experiencing symptoms of PTSD. I was also having these incredible experiences. I felt, you know, in that near-death experience, I had a connection to something I can only describe as, I mean, you two are 
intuitives and empaths, but something that felt divine. I knew I was safe. There's so many reasons why I shouldn't still be here and my family, you know, why we survived. Um, so there was that, there was greater connection to my community. There was a greater appreciation for life and beauty and the gift of recognizing how fleeting it really is and how much to dig in and dive in. And so I wanted to explore that. And that's why I really wrote the book. And that's why I went further into my healing is to offer people a way out of that darkness and into a light that is so much brighter than before the, the event. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. I definitely think that's what you get from your book is to, is a focus on the joy and recognizing the joy, even in the traumatic moment. I mean, what you're describing with losing your home, that's not a moment. That's years, really. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I know it's a moment when the mud comes, but but it's years of dealing with insurance and rebuilding the house and your possessions. And I'm sure your four-year-old had night terrors after that. You know, all the things that come along with it, it's really years. And yet focusing on the joy that comes in those moments, I think is so, so crucial. And, and I think that's what readers will take away from this book, which is really important. Do you think that, that part of your near-death experience was to propel you to do this book and, and the retreats and the other things that you do? Did you receive a message in that experience? Yeah, I think, and the messages kind of keep coming. And so what we had been doing our Wild Precious Life retreats, and I'd been very interested in all different modalities of healing prior to the mudslide, and it felt like everything I'd been doing and we'd been doing with the retreats prepared me for that moment to start or those hours. And then the years that followed to not only survive, but to kind of pay it forward. You know, that night there was, I was trapped on my bathroom counter. The, the mud stopped, you know, like an inch beneath my bathroom counter. So I could stay there for five hours until I was rescued. But there was a little bottle of essential oils on the counter called inner peace. And I literally, I was like squirting into my hand and like taking the deep breaths and trying to meditate and pray. And, um, so that was one tool that I'm like, okay, you, we can do this. There's a reason that you, there were so many what ifs. I feel like I've talked to other, another good friend who lost his mother that night, who was a neighbor you know, all of his what ifs wound up with her not still being here. And all of my what ifs wound up with me still being here and with my family still being here. So it was even like a few months later, I was doing a session with this cool shaman in Arizona. His name's Tim Frank. And I was sobbing and letting it all out. And and he said, Mary, do you think that you survived all that to be like taken out now? Cause I was still so afraid of like, you know, a tsunami or murder, you know what? I, I was so fearful. He's like, you did not survive all that to be taken out. Now you survived because you have a mission to spread your light and joy and to help others. So it's interesting how we keep, you know, keep hearing the messages and. Mm -hmm. um, That's so true. Yeah. And and that's an excellent, excellent point about having 
this is a little blunt, but it, it's very honest, is I have some circumstances in my life. And now one of my favorite expressions is I've been to hell and this isn't it. So it gives you a perspective and a sense of gratitude and exactly what you described, a connection with divine. And what I find when I talk to, to different folks is when they've been through so much, it gives them a level of empathy, compassion, and understanding that they may not have had before before a traumatic situation. And I'm not wishing any ill will on anyone or anything like that, but what would be some ways people can start to take their power back? Because that's that's the key is, is saying, this isn't going to take me. I'm going to win. I'm going to beat this. Absolutely. Well, I think the first thing is to recognize that we're not alone. I think that trauma can feel really isolating. Um, you know, it's this feeling of like, nobody understands what I've been through or no one's ever been through the hell that I've been through. Um, so recognizing the book too, I interview all different kinds of trauma survivors, people that have lost children, um, people that have lost marriages, financial situations, uh, sexual abuse, all different kinds of trauma survivors who have thrived in the wake of that experience. So I think the first thing is to recognize you're not alone. And that's a big part of why I wrote the book is I want people to feel that sense of community. And if I can do it, you can do it. And if these other people can do it, so can you. I think another thing is to speak your truth, you know, identify what happened to you as traumatic and sometimes I just had this the other day, someone was like, yeah, but you know, I didn't go through a mudslide. It's not that bad. I'm like, it is, it's like the great Dr. Edith Eager, who I love. And I interviewed her for my book. She's a Holocaust survivor and she's a therapist in La Jolla. She says, there's no hierarchy of trauma. Everybody's trauma is the worst because it happened to them. So speaking your truth, identifying that what happened was traumatic and sharing it. It's sort of like why take back the night and even like talk therapy and these kind of what you all are doing right now, like we're talking about it, you know, like get it out obviously in a safe way with safe people and start to seek the help that you deserve that everyone deserves. And that's also, again, at the book, I've got all different kinds of modalities and resources and tools for how to find somebody to work with. I think those are the first. What would, what would be some of your, your favorite tools for people to start with in that you recommend in the book? For me, EMDR was huge and you can find, you know, a lot of therapists are trained in it. Can you tell people briefly what that is? Because I I've mentioned that to a lot of people, and they're like, "E what?" <laughs> so no. there are still people out there who haven't heard of it. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy, which is a mouthful. Which is what I think EMDR, you know, um, and it was first discovered by a psychologist named Dr. Francine Shapiro. She noticed that by moving her eyes back and forth while thinking about a traumatic event in her own life, that the, um, the trigger was somehow removed. So the idea is that when we're in like REM sleep and our eyes are going back and forth, 
something is happening in the brain that is breaking the loops, the traumatic loops. So therapists can do it by either, it's called bilateral stimu stimulation where you're stimulating the left and the right hemispheres of the brain. So you can do that by holding buzzers that alternate, you know, buzz in the right, buzz in the left, buzz in. Um, you can do it by tapping. Um, butterfly tapping is a technique that Dr. Laurel Parnell talks about. She's got a good book on that. All different ways to stimulate the bilateral. So the idea is you're with the buzzers and with the bilateral stimulation, you tell the story of your trauma and you tell it again and you tell it again. And it is really amazing. The first time I did it, I was having nightmares every single night. And I was very skeptical that this was going to work. The first time I told my story, I was sobbing. I could barely get through it. The second time, it was a little less. The third time, you know, it takes it down a notch. And that night, I did not have nightmares, which I should say that does not mean that that will happen for you that quickly. But um, so many people have had such success with EMDR. So that is something I would broach first. What else? I think sometimes, especially if it's been a physical trauma, receiving cranial sacral was a, is a great treatment. You just lie there, you don't have to talk. Because sometimes depending on the trauma, we're not ready to talk about it yet. And that's okay. So the cranial sacral is a great way to receive, a great way, again, to kind of reset some of those brain loops that are activated in that fight or flight following a trauma um, to kind of calm the body down. Mm, what else? I loved ketamine therapy, which I would do in time. Can you explain that? I can. So, and this is coming from a girl. I mean, I grew up in like the Nancy Reagan, just say no to drugs, 1980s. I was super afraid of any kind of drugs. And then ketamine therapy came up for me. So ketamine is the only legal psychedelic to date. And um, it's the most powerful but gentlest psychedelic. They actually use it in hospitals as an anesthetic for children in much higher doses than how they use it now for trauma treatment. So you take it with a psychiatrist and there's all these clinics kind of popping up right now. I don't recommend those. I recommend doing it with a trained psychiatrist who you work with, you do prep work with, you talk about what you're gonna work on, you have your ketamine sessions, which I'll explain in a second. And then you have the follow-up, the integration, which is critical. So the doctor I worked with, Dr. Jeff Becker, he's incredible. We talked about, we're going to look at the mudslide. And he, uh, we did the ketamine intravenously in his office. It has a very short half-life, meaning it wears off very quickly. So each little... I don't know what we're going to trip last like 20 minutes, but it really, it works by shutting off the thinking part of our brain, which again can get stuck in the on mode in the fight or flight post-trauma state. 
So it bypasses that network and it gets underneath. And, you know, Jeff explained it. It's like, if you think about all the different parts of the brain, often when that thinking brain is on, it's like maybe just the cheerleaders and the jocks talk. But when we're in ketamine, we've shut it off. We've got the cheerleaders talking to the band members, talking to the debate team, talking to, so everybody's talking to everyone. So these new neural pathways are getting formed that continue even post treatment for weeks. Um, So for me, I had an experience. It was interesting. I hadn't said I wanted to look at the sexual abuse stuff because it happened so long ago. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, right. So the first vision I saw was was little seven-year-old Mary and this man, the perpetrator, and I was kind of like watching, like almost like a theater, but it all felt, it felt safe. And then out of the darkness, this like big gorilla's face formed. And I was like, am I scared of the gorilla? No, the gorilla is like a good loving presence. And the gorilla came in and swooped little seven-year-old Mary out of the, the scene away from that man and into a safe, beautiful space. So in the integration with Jeff, he's like, I love it. It's like your fierce gorilla warrior showed up and took care of that little girl. So I, I really found ketamine was life-changing. Wow. That's amazing. I, I live in the South. So um, when you say ketamine, I'm thinking special K's like that. That's not going to come to my psychiatrist office till like 2050. I don't think (laughs) I'm going to have to go visit you on the West coast. Come on out. (laughs) This ties in beautifully though. When you said you went to a shaman in Arizona, you're doing the ketamine. It all comes back to rewiring those neural pathways across your corpus callosum to reconnect the circuits. And I know a lot of people, and this is something that I speak of quite often, is are using uh, microdosing psilocybin to treat anxiety, depression, PTSD. But I am so, so grateful that you said, do this with supervision, do this with someone who knows, because I think a lot of people are opening doors. And the fact that that is a very um, contained time period, because you're opening up a very large Pandora's box. But the way you described the gorilla coming in and the seven-year-old, that felt like something you might experience in the Akashic Records or in a journey if you were doing that type of work. But it's still, from what you're saying, all of these are getting you to the same place, but do it with the intention of healing. Yeah, absolutely. And with reverence, because I think you're, you're right, you know, and people, special K is like the street word for ketamine, but people using special K like that are not doing it with reverence for the purpose of healing. So I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, that's, that's really important. And I love that your book does discuss these many pathways to healing, not just one, not just yours, not just, you know, someone you interviewed. Can you talk about like one or two of your favorite stories from the book of people you reached out to and interviewed and heard their own stories? Yeah, I think one of the most um, powerful stories is the story of Dan Eldon. Dan was a the youngest photojournalist for Reuters. I think at 19, he was tapped um, to go to Somalia 
to photograph what was happening there. This was again, many decades ago. And he was murdered by an angry mob following the US bombing a civilian, um, a building that was supposed to be housing warlords and it, it wound up killing a lot of innocent civilians. So Somalis that Dan and some of the other photojournalists had befriended came running and said, please, you've got to photograph what's going on, capture this. And they went and unfortunately Dan and several of his colleagues died that day. Interviewing Dan's mom, Kathy Eldon, who's got an awesome book called In the Heart of Life. It's her memoir, which I have found so inspiring. So interviewing Kathy and Dan's sister, Amy Eldon, hearing how they have transformed their grief or channeled their grief. They started a nonprofit foundation called Creative Visions, which gives voices and funding to creative activists all over the world. And it's very much in Dan's name and in his memory. So I just, I go into it in more detail in the book, how even there's a moment where, you know, they've gone, they've done great things. They've been on Oprah, they've made documentaries. And one of their documentaries, I think what was being honored at the UN in New York City. And Kathy talks about how, you know, she, there was still part of her that had just not forgiven the Somalian people for what had happened. Their cab driver on the way to the UN is Somali. And they share the story of Dan's life and the cab driver, you know, pulls over and says, I apologize on the behalf of the Somali people. That should never have happened. Um, We're so grateful that your son was, I mean, I get emotional just thinking about it. And she said in that moment, she felt her heart release what she'd been holding that resentment. And so it's a beautiful story. And that was no coincidence. No, right? Wow. Which that's what I mean too by this post-traumatic growth stuff. It's like when we really open and allow ourselves to open to the beauty and the connections and the divine around us, that is the gift. It truly is. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. You have your Firestone Sisters Company and one of your things that you offer are wild, precious life retreats. What, what would be entailed if someone wanted to attend one of your retreats? Yeah, we offer, you know, week-long situations. We do one-day situations. And really the retreats were born out of this desire that my sister Lucy and I had. She's a certified life coach and I've got my psychology degree. But we both realized that there's all these other alternative healing methods too that have helped us so much. So really they started, we started them 10 years ago. I can't believe that as a way to offer everything that was working for us in beautiful places where you don't have to think about what you're going to eat or if your room's nice or who you're, you know, we really wanted to offer the whole container um, experience. So they're on our website, firestonesisters.com. We've done a couple events recently with Joe Dispenza, who I love. He's an incredible meditation teacher and speaker. And um, we've got one coming up in the fall. 
about, you know, kind of quieting the roles and the shoulds and creating from the heart. And we're going to do some breath work and some healing. And, and then we end with drinking wine because we believe <laughs> you don't have to, but we're very much about celebrating life. So the green juice and the wine, you know, let's do the hard work and celebrate what comes after that. That sounds awesome. What are some tips? Because as you're talking, I'm thinking about like when I was a young mom and trying to work and take care of my family and and heal from some past issues. And a lot of the things you're mentioning would not have been accessible to that person because I would have been thinking, I can't spend money on a cranial sacral therapist or go to, I don't have time to schedule a psychiatrist or get a massage or do EMD. So what are some non-monetary things that people could do to really start to unravel and, and dive into their healing? I think one really easy thing, well, it's not easy because everything is a commitment, right? We're making, and Lucy and I always say, self-care is not selfish. It's actually selfless because especially as moms, there's so much output. And if we're not filling our wells back up, then there's nothing left to give. And we're not the best versions of ourselves. We're not the best moms. We're not the best partners. So making the commitment to find time during the day. And I know, I know how hard it is, is it to meditate. Meditation really changed my life. A lot of people are talking about meditation right now. There's a lot of different offerings online on YouTube. I love Joe Dispenza. Um, he does have a specific style. Tara Brock is another totally different. She's got a great voice for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I have friends that like head headspace. There's basically just try different ones until, until you find one that's right for you. Essential oils and flower remedies. They're not free, but they're accessible. If you have like a, you can even get them on Amazon or going to a natural food store and can kind of play around with reading the descriptions of what they do. They're, they can be really powerful and effective. Another thing I do every day is I do Qigong, which is energy cultivation. I love a great teacher who actually happens to be my partner now. Paul Frazier is great, and he's got some easy to follow along things on Facebook. Just to ground, clear, and um, open all at once. And yeah, it's in doing Qigong, when I, I start, I do that every morning too. It's just a 20 minute YouTube video I watch. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing it, I was like, what, what is this? I'm, I'm moving my hands. Like I'm not, this isn't cardio. This isn't working my core. <laughs> like what's happening here. But what it does is it really helps both sides of your brain to communicate better. And it focuses your breathing. So it's, it's like you said, it's commitment. Cause after a, a week I, I started to see Oh, this actually does help. <laughs> and and it, I was like you too. I'm like, oh, I don't feel anything. And then I did it again. And actually during the pandemic, I was having all this like neck and back pain. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it. And I was like, whoa, it went away, you know, in like 10 minutes of moving my arms around. So I think there, that is a great 
tool. Um, wait, I just had another thought. Mm, it'll come to me. It'll come. It'll come to you. Well, you know, there's a there's a comedian I love named Bill Burr, and he has this really funny bit he does where he's on a plane and they're experiencing turbulence, and this guy behind him starts whimpering and crying. And he said, all I wanted to do was scream at that guy, push it down, push it down. That's what we all do. We just push it down. And it always cracks me up because I think in life, that's what we're taught to do. You know, push it down, keep calm and carry on. And I'm good at pushing it down, but I've learned through my adulthood to be just as good at sharing it, you know, appropriately with boundaries and with appropriate people. But even on on this show and, and my other podcast, I talk quite openly about my difficult relationship with my mother. And I can't tell you, like my sisters, for example, are like, will you shut up about that? You know, like I get a lot of pushback from people in my life, but I get so many emails from people saying, thank you for being honest about that. It's given me permission to be honest about it too. So I think a simple uh, thing people can do is, is just talk about it, you know, own it, share it. Don't, don't push it down. Yeah, and even I would say like be like my I've been working to be more honest and more present in my daily life too. So when someone's like, "How are you?" I'm like, eh, "It's kind of a tough day today," you know. You know, being more truthful, and then that often gives the other person permission to be honest. And even with our kids too, you know, my kids are nine and four, and again, appropriately and with boundaries, but you know, really being honest with them and teaching them that pushing it down, it doesn't really serve us and it doesn't serve those around us. Yeah. It comes out <laughs> in one way or it, it, it'll, it'll come out. It'll come out in neck pain or a headache or a weird, bad mood. It'll always eke out. So yeah, you, you do have to get it out. And that's a great point to model it to your kids. I absolutely love that all of the techniques you're sharing all of the work you're saying about releasing is improving people's quality of life and helping them connect more fully with their own inner knowing. But also that's gonna cause a ripple effect, which Samantha and I talk about this a lot. We all need to pull together right now in order to shift the vibration and the energy. And by doing this level of work that you're talking about, I think it makes a huge difference. So someone may be listening and saying, well, I've had some things in my life, but not, this deep trauma. But if you can learn about this, you may be able to hold space for someone who has had that trauma in their life. And and I, I absolutely appreciate and love what you're talking about because, and especially with like your little kids right now, your little people, they're, they're wired differently. They need this. They need this strength and this, this positive energy to help them step up into what they came here to do. And it's beautiful work. So thank you. Well, thank you both too. I feel that I, I got a little goosebumps there because I, I say that too, the ripple effect. And again, just committing to Samantha, what you were saying about, you know, moms and I get it. It's like time is, you know, very limited and racing to pick people up and do this. And it's almost like making that commitment. Like we do make the commitment to go to the gym or work out. This is like working out our hearts and our souls so that it may spread and ripple out. And I really think it's important. 
Yeah, I do too. What, what advice would you give to people who are kind of stuck in their trauma? Do you know those people who kind of self-identify with it so much that they can't move past it, no matter how much they want to, or they're working on it, they're just kind of holding it to them. What, what could those people do for help? Yeah. So I actually, there's a part, I talk about my story and again, Dr. Edith Eager, who I would recommend to those people to, to look at her book. She has two books called the choice and the gift. And she talks about this concept of we're all going to be victimized. That's just part of the human experience. It's one, one way or another victimhood is our choice. So, and I know that that is going to be upsetting to some people because I think we do, and myself included for a long time, a part of my story was I was sexually abused as a child kind of thing and, and rewriting the story. I have an exercise in the book about taking, kind of reframing what happened of how you were the survivor in that story, how even in the mudslide, changing my language around, I almost died to I survived. It's a very different energy. Um, so I would recommend to people to look at her work, um, to look at, I have a rewriting your story exercise in my book to start there. And, you know, how are, how are we holding ourselves back by continuing to tell the story that way? Again, to go to the ketamine too, something that's going to get underneath the thinking part of the brain to underneath it, to free, free them. It's worked really with like veterans. And I, I would, I think I would recommend that too. Yeah. I think those are great suggestions. And I think people need to ask themselves, how is this serving me? Because yeah. even the, the negative experiences in our lives serve us. And I think when we recognize that and give that attention, it kind of starts to give that little uh, negative experience in our life, I don't know, permission to go away. And I don't, I don't mean to call it little. I just mean, I know in my life, I'm always trying to make the, the traumatic experiences smaller in my life and make the joyful ones bigger so that I don't give it so much prominence and importance. But I think if you focus on, you know, how, how has this served me? How is this serving me? You can start to see that it probably isn't anymore and it's okay to move on. Yeah. And also a big thing that kept coming up with all the different modalities and the people that I would interview is this idea of integration of the traumatic experience. So it's not something that we need to get out or splinter off or move past. It's a part of our story. And how do we neutralize it and honor it, but not make it the, you know, it's just a piece. It's a, it's a part of our story. So to make it integrated, it's not other, it's just part of it to take away the triggering aspects around it, which again is why the EMDR and the ketamine and other therapies are great to kind of neutralize the response. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to describe it. Thank you for that. And thank you for coming on today and sharing your work. Tell people where they can find more about you in the retreat in the fall and where they can get your book. So firestonesisters.com. We're also on Instagram at Firestone Sisters. And then I have an author website that's maryfirestone.co. 
not calm because someone took that one. <laughs> okay, perfect. I need to make a note of that when we put it in the and our, and our social media pages, where's my pen? Okay. Um, but we will write that all down in the show notes and, and I'll put it on our Facebook pages and our Instagram as well. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate your time today. And, and Denise, and I just hope that people listening will read your book and, and feel the joy that comes from your words and not the, you know, the, the reminder that their trauma has happened to them, but the joy in what they can uncover. I love it. Thank you both so much. You're very welcome. I'd just love to add one tiny more little thing is that as you were speaking, I was thinking you're also stopping it. You're not putting that into that lineage of ancestral healing that needs to happen down the road. And by each of us facing our trauma or doing this work, where where it the buck stops here kind of a thing, or it lessens that impact that's being passed down. So this isn't just about us. This is about past, present, future. And, and thank you, because it's big, big work. We appreciate you a lot. Thank Couldn't you. Agree more. Every time I was pregnant, I was like, ah, heal, do the work, do the work, do the work. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. And thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Sharing. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.